Good morning. All right. <laughs> Great. Uh, well, my name is Dana, and I'm uh, one of the pastors here at the church. And um, we are right in the middle of our summer series on the book of Ephesians. It's called A Life Worthy of the Calling. And this is one of three weeks during the summer when uh, we're not going to be studying a particular text, but we're going to dig more deeply into a topic that has arisen out of our study. And so I want to start today by telling you about something that happened to me on Friday. It was hot on Friday. Because it's always hot here. (laughs) Oh my gosh. I used to live in Halifax, and I'll tell you, every day this week, I think, I'm going to move back to Halifax, 23 degrees there. Okay. Um, so it's hot on Friday, and uh, apparently when it's hot here, what people do is they swim, right? And so here's a picture I pulled off Facebook of a few members of our congregation. Oh, you can't see it that great, but, well, it's because it's underwater. That's probably why. It's a few members of our congregation um, swimming in the river just on the other side of the bridge. And uh, so Brendan posted that, Brendan right in the middle, on Facebook. So I assume it's okay that I used it because that's public. And he's not here. So, okay. Uh, <laughs> so I saw this picture and I commented on Facebook, wow, looks like you guys are having a great time. Because it does look like they're having a great time. And within the hour, Brendan had sent me a private message. Actually, he sent me like seven private messages. And he's like, it's so fun. We go all the time. Do you want to go next time we go? I went four times last week. Next time we go, I'll call you. What's your number? Isn't that nice of him? Yeah. Well, it made me want to throw up. Because, not because it wasn't a great invitation, but because I am terrified of that. Not maybe swimming exactly, precisely. I'm not terrified of swimming. I'm just terrified of doing any sport, <laughs> okay, anything actually that, that has the potential to make me look awkward and ridiculous. <laughs> Thank you. Okay, I know <laughs> I feel a lot of love coming out of the audience. I assume it's because you're terrified of that too. Okay, I know because a lot of you have told me that you are terrified of public speaking. I didn't realize that one of the... Um, Like one of the side benefits of being a pastor was how many people were going to come and tell me about their fear of public speaking. But apparently every time I stand up here, all of you are like, I could never do that. And so people tell me all the time how they would be terrified to stand up here and talk in front of people like Tom and I do every week. That's, you know, that's fine. I respect that. Me, I could stand up here all day, right? This is easy. This is my happy place. I have the floor. I'm doing what I love. I could do this forever. I, it doesn't bother me. But if you ask me to join the church baseball team, I am going to break out in a cold sweat. I'm not kidding. I'm like almost in tears at the thought of it. <laughs> now, here's the thing. I was not always like that. I was a really active kid, and I actually loved the water. And here are some pictures of me goofing around in the water. You can you can put yeah there they are okay that's great. <laughs> my mother is having a great time sending me all the pictures of my childhood for these sermons. Um, 
my grandparents used to always have a cottage, and they would tie this canoe. It's one of those ones with styrofoam on the sides. You can't sink it. And uh, they would tie that canoe to an eight-foot-long rope, put me on, shove me off the end of the dock, and uh, and then they just let me stay out there. And you can't see it, but there's like a floaty tube on the other side, and I was allowed to climb back and forth from one floaty thing to the next. And I would spend all day on the water by myself. I mean, I could get in. It's not like they just, you know, sent me away in the lake. I could pull myself back in on the rope. But, but I loved it. I loved it. But Friday, when Brendan texted me, like at lunch, so like an hour after the Facebook messages, to say, he and Jesse were going to go float down the river again, and did I want to go with them? I have never in my life been more grateful that I wasn't done my sermon yet. What happened to me? What happened? How did I get from that to this person who doesn't want to get in the river? Two things that I know for sure happened. First of all, <clears throat> when I was eight years old, um, my gym teacher invented this uh, basketball, this relay race to help us practice skills at basketball. And you know how when you're a kid in the gym, there's like there's basketball hoops all the way around the gym, like at intervals. And so the idea in the relay was we were in teams of six or eight kids, and the first person in all the team would start going. You went to the first basket, and you had a basketball, and you had to sink a basket. And when you made the basket, then you could go to the next hoop. And you worked your way around the room, and when you were done, when you had sunk all five baskets, you came back, gave the ball to the next kid on your team, which is a really good game if you can make a basket. But if you can't, there is no way out of that game. Right? Like, it would have been great for my teacher to build in some kind of, I don't know, like, fail-safe thing, some kind of, like, (laughs) get-out-of-jail-free card so that if you, like, shot five times and missed all five times, you could still go to the next one. That would have helped. That would have changed my whole life, probably. But um, but there wasn't. There was nothing like that. And so I was stuck there at the first hoop, eight years old, trying to keep shooting, trying not to cry, while all the other kids moved on. And my team got more and more upset. That was a humiliating day. And the other thing that was happening around that time was that, you know, seven, eight years old, it's this time when you start having sleepovers. And I was so excited about that because I got to stay overnight at my friend's house, spend all night with them. We'd do hair and makeup and nails and all the girly stuff, and that was great. But when I was eight, I had not yet um, outgrown bedwetting. And so every time I stayed at a friend's place, I was living with this terror that something was going to happen and I was going to be humiliated. You know, it didn't happen every time, but it sure happened enough. And that was nobody's fault. That was nobody's fault. But it caused a deep wound in me. And it's one that I have yet to recover from. So between those two things, something shifted in me when I was seven or eight years old. And I decided that I could not trust my body. It wasn't very good at doing what it was supposed to do. And I didn't seem to have any control over it. And and I kept ending up just humiliated because of it. Okay, that was a lot of sharing. (laughs) 
So, yikes. And if you're new with us this morning, that is more than you ever wanted to know about your pastor. Um, And I bet everybody, whether you're new or not, is wondering what on earth this story has to do with the book of Ephesians. Okay, here's the thing. As we've been studying Ephesians, it is becoming increasingly clear that God has an enormous plan for the world. He is going to reconcile all things to himself through Christ. And the church, all of us, we have an enormous role to play in bringing that plan to fruition, to reality. And we've talked about being reconciled to people who are different from us. We've talked about learning how to love strangers like family, breaking down dividing walls of hostility so that other people can come to know God. And last week, Tom talked about how right in the middle of the book of Ephesians, Paul sort of pauses, Paul is the author, and he kind of pauses to pray for the church. And Tom suggested that any rational person reading the letter of Ephesians up until that point would be an understanding, the substantial nature of the call that's in front of us. We'd be saying to ourselves, if we were rational people, there's no way we can do that. There's no way that my church can pull that off. I'm too broken to do that. That is a rational and reasonable response to the call in Ephesians. And so today I want to talk about brokenness and healing and love. I don't think that my story is terribly unique. I mean, I hope that none of you had to play that terrible basketball game. But the truth is, we all have places of brokenness. Sometimes brokenness comes from neglect when we're really young. Our parents do the best that they can, but sometimes they just can't provide the care and connection that we need. And even if they do a great job, some of you know school is hard. Right? We experience teasing and bullying and rejection. Or there are these traumatic situations in our lives, like sickness or death or having to move really suddenly. When you're a child, that's traumatic. When you're an adult, that's traumatic. Sometimes there's abuse in our lives. There's physical and sexual and emotional abuse. All things that we can't control but cause pain and brokenness in us. And the truth is, adulthood is not that much easier, is it? Failed relationships and disappointment and lost jobs and unmet expectations, losing loved ones, addictions and accidents and failure. Sometimes that stuff is the result of our own sin. Sometimes it's the result of someone else's sin and they're inflicting something on us. And sometimes... It's just because we live in a world that's broken, but it all has an impact on us. And so we have these wounds, don't we? These, like, tender places. Have you ever walked up to try to hug somebody who just got a terrible sunburn? (coughs) What do they do? They duck out of the way. Don't touch me, right? Because it hurts so much when somebody touches a sunburn. It's tender. And they learn how to protect the tender places. 
And just like we would protect a sunburn or a broken bone, we learn how to protect the tender and broken places in our hearts. We learn how to lock those things away. We build walls around them. We cover them up. We actually structure our lives so that we never have to go anywhere near them. I have a friend, Sarah. I asked her if I could share this story. She was so happy for you to hear it. Um, Sarah started cutting uh, her, herself, her arms, when she was a young teenager because of some traumatic experiences that happened to her when she was a child. And so by the time I met her when she was a young adult, she just casually wore long sleeves every day of her life. I never saw her in short sleeves because she didn't want anyone to ask her about the scars on her arms. She didn't want to have to talk about it. She didn't want to get into it. She just wore long sleeves. It was a simple choice that she made, very simple, a way to protect herself and keep that tender place safe. And I don't know about you, but I find that the older I get, the easier it is for me to structure my life so that my heart is protected and safe. I mean, literally no one is going to push me or force me to join the church baseball team. I don't have to do it. There is no more mandatory phys ed class in my life. Thank God. Okay. <laughs> Seriously. Okay. I can easily structure my life as an adult woman to avoid sports and no one bats an eye. But the thing is, that thing grows. Right? It grew in me. It used to be that I just didn't like basketball, and that makes sense. And then it kind of, over time, became that I didn't like any sport. But I still took dance lessons, and I still swam all summer long at the cottage. And then over time, this sense of shame about my body, it just, it like grew and expanded. And I started to feel awkward at school dances, and I didn't want to take gymnastics, and I didn't want to play silly games at youth group. Right? Or camp. I mean, I did because you did have to. But um, I, like, I literally stopped riding my bike. It's actually really sad. Like, it's, it's sad. In fact, it's kind of insane when I was looking back and taking stock this week to see the number of things, really fun, joyful, life-giving things that I duck and avoid so that this brokenness will not get touched. And I think that that happens for everyone. We protect ourselves. And as we do that, as we protect our brokenness, we inadvertently count ourselves out of all kinds of things. Things that we need to be able to do if we're going to be part of God's plan to reconcile all things to himself. Think about this. What if a kid was called stupid when they gave an answer in school? And what if they believed that that was true? And they decided, you know, for their own protection, that they were never going to talk in front of people ever again. And what if that meant that as an adult, as a believing person, a Christian as an adult, they refused to pray out loud ever? That's for their own protection. But what if that meant that at some point they were unable to pray with their friend whose parents had just died. 
unable to offer help and comfort. That's an enormous cost for self-protection. What if a teenager lost a sibling to suicide? And what if, again, understandably for their own protection, they decided, I am never going to care that much about anyone else. Never. It's too painful. And so what if that meant that they only ever engaged in friendship at a superficial level and they never got close to anyone? What if it meant that they always kept their distance, even from the closest people, even from their spouse, and that resulted in a divorce? That's an enormous cost for self-protection. The pain, the self-protection grows. It snakes out all through our lives and chips away at us. It makes us less and less whole. Less and less free. Less and less alive. We need healing. I want to offer something to you today. I'd like to lead us together in some prayer ministry as a group. It's a, it's a prayer exercise where you imagine yourself giving some of these broken things, some of the pain, some of the self-protection, giving that to Jesus. And so here's what, here's what it's going to look like. Um, I'll ask you to close your eyes and kind of keep those closed. And I'll ask you to picture yourself standing in front of the cross and to imagine Jesus coming to stand near you. And then I'm going to slowly talk through different categories um, of experiences that can cause pain and brokenness in people's lives. And I'll keep inviting you repeatedly to take those experiences and set them down in your imagination at the foot of the cross. And then, I mean, if something doesn't apply to you, if you hear something and you think, that's not for me, I, I don't have that experience, that's okay, you just let that go. But if it does apply to you, I would encourage you to picture yourself taking that thing and setting it down at the foot of the cross. And then at the end, I mean, you're going to build up quite a pile there in front of the cross. And at the end, what we'll do is we'll ask Jesus to do something with that pile and to give you a gift in return. Now, okay, I just want to say, if you're new with us this morning... And you are, or you're not exactly sure what you think about Jesus, <laughs> don't worry, okay? You are so welcome to just sit and listen. You're also welcome, though, and I want to encourage you to go ahead and give it a shot. You know, there's no pressure to believe anything, and I am not going to tell you what you're supposed to see or imagine. We're just going to ask Jesus to meet us, and then we're going to get quiet for a little while and pay attention to what he does. You've got nothing to lose. And the truth is that Jesus is really willing to meet with you and talk with you no matter where you are or what you believe. And even if you're here all the time, this is going to feel like a new experience because we don't usually do it on Sunday morning. It's okay. It's only going to take us about 10 or 12 minutes, and you can trust me. Okay. Are you ready?
go ahead and get, like, just get comfortable in your seat. Get in a position you can stay in for 10 minutes. And, uh, and then close your eyes. Now, sometimes uh, I'm going to pray for you or pray on your behalf. But sometimes I'm going to talk to you and give some instructions. No matter what I'm doing, you just go ahead and keep your eyes closed. It's way easier to picture or imagine something happening if your eyes are closed. So why don't you picture yourself in a safe place? Maybe it's a field. Maybe it's your living room. Maybe it's here here in the church by yourself. Wherever you are, picture the cross in front of you, close by. We use the image of the cross because Christians believe that when Jesus died on the cross, he took on himself all of our pain, all of our suffering, all of our brokenness and sin. And so this is a good place to come when we find ourselves carrying that stuff, we can always leave that at the cross. All right, so picture the cross. Notice what it looks like. What color is it? How tall is it? What kind of wood is it made of? I'm going to pray and invite Jesus to come and be with you. And if you want to, You can join me in that prayer by opening up your hands, putting your palms up so that you're ready to receive. Jesus, we are grateful to be in your presence this morning. We're grateful for who you are and that you promise to bring healing and restoration. Would you come and meet us this morning? Would you walk into the picture that my friends are imagining? Would you come alongside them and join them at the foot of the cross? Notice what Jesus looks like. How does he come into your picture? What is he wearing? Does he sit or stand with you? What expression is on his face? I'm going to start talking through some sources of brokenness. And as they apply to you and as you're ready, imagine yourself setting them down at the foot of the cross. Because people are broken, they often hurt others. They often sin against other people. And we are terribly vulnerable to that as children. Our parents, our siblings, 
our friends, our relatives, our teachers, all of them sometimes hurt us. And so if you were called names as a child, I invite you to set those down at the foot of the cross. If you were screamed or yelled at, you can set that down. If you were bullied, you can set that down at the foot of the cross. If you were left out of games, if you were rejected by your friends, you can set that down. If you ever felt unsafe, you can set that down at the foot of the cross. If you were left alone for long periods of time, if you heard or watched someone else being abused, you can set that down at the foot of the cross. If you went hungry, if you had to leave your home quickly, if you were threatened, you can set those things down at the foot of the cross. If your body was not respected, if you were physically abused, if you were sexually abused, if you were assaulted, if you were raped, you can set those down at the foot of the cross. If you had to have an abortion, you can set that down at the foot of the cross. If there are any other things that were done to you by others, you can set those down at the foot of the cross. Because we live in a fallen and broken world, there are things that happen that actually aren't anyone's fault, but that still cause us pain. And so, if you have been very sick, or if someone close to you has been sick, you can set that down at the foot of the cross. someone close to you died, if you lost a parent or a spouse 
or a child? You had a miscarriage. You can set that down at the foot of the cross. If you got divorced, you can set that down. If you found that you can't have children, you can set that down at the foot of the cross. If you are losing your health, your hearing, your eyesight, your cognitive capacity, or your physical strength, you can set that down at the foot of the cross. If you are in a transition, if a child is leaving home, if you lost a job, if you can't find work, you can set that down at the foot of the cross. If there are any other things that have hurt you, even if they weren't anyone's fault, you can set those down at the foot of the cross. Because we are broken people, we often hurt others both intentionally and unintentionally. And living with the guilt of that can weigh us down, can hurt us and hurt them. And so, if you are abusing a substance, you can set that down at the foot of the cross. If you have lied or are lying to someone, you can set that down. If you have abused someone physically or sexually or emotionally, would you set that down at the foot of the cross? If you have an addiction, you have neglected your children, if you have spread rumors about someone or bullied them, you can set that down at the foot of the cross. If you have been harming yourself, you can set that down. There are any other things that you've done that you need to set down, go ahead and put them at the foot of the cross. If there are any lies that you've believed, the lie that you aren't smart enough or strong enough 
or pretty enough or rich enough. You can set those down. The lie that God doesn't love you or that you are not lovable, you can set that down at the foot of the cross. If there are people you have not yet forgiven, and so you're carrying around a burden of unforgiveness, you can set that down at the foot of the cross. If there's anything else that Jesus brings to mind, you can set that down at the foot of the cross. And now with your eyes closed, turn and look at the pile of things that you have set down at the foot of the cross. Jesus, would you show us what that pile looks like? Would you show us its true nature? And Jesus, would you take that pile? We release it to you. Do with it what you want to do. Pay attention. Watch what happens. Jesus, would you give each person something, some gift, to take the place of what they've released today? Pay attention to what he offers you. Jesus, I'm so grateful for your ministry with us this morning. I'm so thankful that we can know you and see you and listen to you. Thank you for your cross and your healing. Would you seal the work that you've you've done here, done in us by your spirit? Would you bless us and lead us forth into new life? Amen. Thank you, all of you, for doing that with me. Take a second to open our eyes. Now, I said that I was going to talk about brokenness and healing and love this morning, so let's pick that back up. What does love have to do with all this anyway? I want to tell you something. This was a really hard sermon for me to write. It might have been the hardest one I've written so far. And I kept slamming into a wall and feeling like a total fraud. I mean, if I'm going to preach about healing, why didn't I go float down the river with Brendan on Friday? Right? How come I'm not over this? (laughs) Because I have done the praying about this. I've done the prayer ministry that we just did. And sometimes... Sometimes, you might find this, there is instant healing. 
And other times, after you pray, you have to begin the hard work of retraining your brain, (laughs) rewriting the narrative of your life. And for me, that hard work has most often been possible in the context of loving relationships with close friends. Like in January, when I was hanging out in my office and all of a sudden Terry and Steph said, hey, we're going to start going to the gym three times a week. Do you want to go with us? Who wants to guess what my inside heart was saying? That's right. Part of me was screaming, absolutely not. (laughs) But I kind of knew them. I had this sense I could trust them. And so I said yes, and I stepped into it. And it starts to work. That's the weird thing. You know, it started to give me a different story to tell about what my body is capable of. Like, did you know that I can do 50 push-ups in a row? Not spread out over a whole day, all together at one time. I know, I mean, I'm not going to challenge anybody to do it right now or anything, but you can ask Terry because that has happened. (laughs) And in Ephesians uh, 3, verses 14 to 21, which is what we studied last week, Paul prays twice for love. He prays for this beautiful, intentional, all-consuming love. He says, I pray, I'm I'm editing this a little bit, okay, so it's easier to deliver. I pray that you may be strengthened as you are rooted and grounded in love. He prays that we would grow strong, like put down roots from our spirit into the ground in love. So it grounds us, it forms the core of who we are. And later on, Paul says, I pray that you would understand the breadth and the length and the height and the depth to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. It's like that book, that book that's like, um, I love you to the moon and back, where parents are trying to describe how to their to their kids how much they love them, like all the way to the moon. We don't we can't even imagine how far away that is. That much. Healing happens through love. We can't do that alone. We're made whole as we experience, receive, and give love as we're intended to. And I don't mean like romantic infatuation, although there's nothing wrong with that, except that it doesn't last. Right? That always wears off. I'm talking about strong, willful, gritty love. Love that will not let go. Love that sees your whole self, the whole truth, and stays. Love that you can trust. M. Scott Peck's incredible book, The Road Less Traveled, defines love as a commitment of the will to the good of another person. We can choose it. We can set our will to love. We can learn that. When I was serving with my very first ministry team in Waterloo, there were eight of us all together, and we were good friends. And that's when we were very, very young. (laughs) Um, And there was a season in this team where some very significant sin patterns had come to light and started to affect our team. They came to light in the team. 
And so our leaders put us into accountability groups. And I had not done this before, and it was very intense. So basically in these groups, we had some material to help us do personal reflection and identify what sin patterns were going on in our lives. And then we would meet each week on Friday afternoons and confess to each other. Literally, that's what we did. We would sit around a table, and one person would start in these groups of four and share their confession, what sin they had committed that week. And we would pray for Doesn't that sound awful? We would pray for them and help them decide what to do, and then the next person would go. And if it sounds awful, it's because it absolutely was. I wanted to throw up every time. You do not get used to that. It was the most terrifying thing I've ever done. And maybe one of the most beautiful. Because over the course of 18 months, the three women in my group heard every terrible thing I was doing. Every single thing. And every single time they told me the truth about that, there was no, there was no arm stroking, no, oh, you're okay, you're a great person. They told me the truth about that. And then they extended forgiveness, and then they prayed God's love over me. And they kept being my friends, and they are still my closest friends. And so two summers ago, the eight of us went away to a cottage together, along with the nine children and several dogs that we had accumulated since then. And we were there for a week, and that was... That was a long time to be with eight adults, nine kids, and some dogs. Um, But anyway, uh, something incredible happened to me about midway through the week. I started jumping on the trampoline. (laughs) I know. In fact, I got in in the lake and started jumping on the water trampoline. Where do these things come from? Why is jumping on a trampoline in a spandex bathing suit a thing that we all think is fun? But okay, but it was fun, right? It was great, and I could do it because even all those years later, I know I am loved in that circle. Being loved, not fleetingly, but substantially, truthfully, in a committed way, Being loved actually heals me. Being loved always heals people. And it makes possible paths we never thought we would travel. Remember my friend Sarah I told you about who always wore long sleeves? Well, Sarah was part of a small group when she was a student. And she decided to go on a mission trip. They were going to Bangladesh. And in Bangladesh, you have to wear... It's called a salwar kameez. It's like a long dress with short sleeves and this very light cotton material. It's beautiful, and it's so nice and cool in the summer. But it has short sleeves, and that's what you have to wear. So Sarah decided that she was going to tell everyone on her team about her history with cutting. She said, I'm going to tell them. Because then they'll know, and then nobody will have to ask me what's on my arm. When she got back from that trip, she told me it was the most free she had ever felt. She had never imagined she could feel so free and so comfortable 
in short sleeves because everyone knew what they were looking at. Everyone knew the truth, and they loved her anyway. Sometimes the love comes first, and then you can be vulnerable. But more often than not, you have to take a risk and open yourself up first to Jesus, to close friends, to a counselor. And you begin to discover a love that can heal you. You start to learn about its breadth and its depth. You start to put down roots in it. And before you know it, you're growing and you're healing. And you're offering that same kind of love to the people around you. And so here's the application for this week. It's pretty simple, I think. First of all, when you get home, would you write down the experience that you had with Jesus in prayer? Particularly, write What do I say? Oh, yeah. Do it today before you forget. Particularly, write down, what did that pile look like at the foot of the cross? And what did Jesus do with that pile? And what did he give you in return? Those are going to be very important things for you. So write that down today. Second, choose someone you trust and tell them about it. Just this end part. Tell them what you offered, what it looked like, what he did, what he gave you. Uh, I'd like to invite the worship team to come back up. Um, And we're going to have a chance to just respond to Jesus in worship. And um, there are a couple of us here this morning who have some experience in prayer ministry. You've been on my team, that's fine. But also, if you have not been on my team, but you have experience offering prayer ministry, you feel really welcome to come and join us at the front here. So we're going to have a couple of people at the front and the sides. And if you, um, if you had something come up for you as we were praying in the service and you'd like to receive more specific prayer, please feel free to come forward. We'll be here during these worship songs and after the service is over. Let's be a people together who bring our brokenness to the cross. Let's continue in healing and move toward love so that we can be a church that participates in God's plan to reconcile all things to himself. Amen. I'm going to pray a blessing over you, and then uh, we'll continue to be up here. If you'd like to come and pray with us, you're welcome. And uh, there's going to be coffee and snacks at the back. Would you stand to receive the blessing if you're able? People of God, go forth from this place, empowered by the Holy Spirit, to fulfill your high calling as servants and witnesses of Jesus Christ. And now may the risen Christ go with you, beside you to befriend you, above you to watch over you, within you to empower you, and in front of you to show you the way. Amen. Go in peace.